Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. In Hebrews chapter four, we read this a few months ago, but man, this scripture is so good. It's so powerful. I had to read it again in our sermon today. It says this starting in verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So... Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That is good news because if you're anything like me, you need mercy and you need grace because you don't get things right all the time. You sin, you make mistakes, you mess up, you struggle. And so in Jesus, that's exactly what we have. In Jesus, we have a friend. In Jesus, we have a rescuer. So if you would, let's bow our heads and let's boldly go before the throne of God in these next moments. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for the way that you love us, for the way you give us exactly what we need, your grace and your mercy and your love and your truth. God, we need it and we need it in full measure. So fill this place with your presence. Fill this place with your spirit. And when we say this place, God, you know we're not, we're not referring to these four walls. We're referring to our hearts to our souls, to our minds. God, we want to be completely inundated with you, with your power, with your grace, and with your mercy. So God, do that in these next moments. Fill us with you. Fill us with your presence, with your spirit, so that we can leave this place transformed people because we've encountered our God. We love you so much, Father. And we lift all this up in your mighty and your powerful name. And everybody said together, Amen, amen, amen. You can grab a seat. It is so good to see everybody. How are you guys doing? Good to be in God's house, isn't it? It's good to be in God's house. Thank you, Rob. Uh, it's good to see you guys too, because let me tell you, we got a lot of people sick. Again, this is week two, the, the creeping crud, as my dad used to call it. The creeping crud is going around. So make sure you, you take your vitamin C and you stay careful out there. Well, it is, it's good to see everybody today. We are in the final part of this teaching series that we've been doing, our, our Christmas series called Receive Your King. Receive your king. And we're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom at Christmas. Uh, so the kingdom of God, as we start into today, let me just give you a real quick reminder of what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, it's easy to misunderstand it and think he's talking about heaven, right? It's typically what we think of when we hear the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We think of the place we go to one day, right? But in actuality, what Jesus is referring to when he talks about the kingdom of God, he is referring to a new reality, a new way of life, a new truth that his coming, that his life and his ministry ushered into the world. So that's what the kingdom of God is. It's a new reality, a new truth about life that Jesus has brought in. And this kingdom, it was inaugurated. It was, it was consummated at Easter through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. So that's kind of when it reaches its culmination, saying like, it's here, it's now. But even though it was inaugurated at Easter, it was initiated at Christmas, 
We, we see the story of the kingdom of God breaking into the world during the very first Christmas account. And so we've been looking at it for these past couple of weeks, uh, uh, how the kingdom of God has burst into our world and it has changed everything. Christmas changes everything. Can you say it with me? Christmas changes everything. It has changed everything about life. And what we've looked at is week one, we talked about how it's changed the way that we relate to God, right? That typically how people would view the relationship with God is that I need to perform. I need to be good. I need to do good things. I need to be better than other people because that's how I earn God's favor is by doing enough things, enough good stuff in my ledger to show God like, hey, look, you Give me your favor, give me your love. But what we've learned is that as we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, we don't work for God's favor, we can work from God's favor. That we have favor the moment that we put our faith and our hope in Jesus. Christmas changed everything. Week two, we looked at how uh, uh, Christmas and the coming of Jesus has changed uh, the way we live our lives. That a lot of us, we've been slaves to the powers of the world. That's what scripture calls it in, in Colossians 2, uh, 2 and in different places. The, the powers and the principalities of this world, the, the worldly ways of thinking, the worldly ways of doing things, which namely is self-serving, right? That's what the world tells us to do. Do what feels good to you. Do what's gonna make you happy. Do whatever's gonna elevate you. And what Jesus did is Jesus came and completely disarmed the powers of this world. So we don't have to live that way anymore. We can live a new way. We can have our mind and our ways transformed by the Holy Spirit. And then last week, last week, we looked at the story of the shepherds, right? And we talked about how Christmas changed everything, how beforehand the Jewish faith no one was going out and sharing about their faith in Judaism, right? Like, you're not cracking open the Old Testament and seeing anyone going door to door saying, can I talk to you about our Lord and Savior, uh, Yahweh? Like, it's just not happening, right? Like, no one's doing that. It was very much a closed thing. Like, we're God's people, God loves us, and you're not, right? Uh, but with Jesus and with the coming of Jesus, we see, no, this, this good news is too good to be kept quiet. We have to share this with everybody. We have to share what we've experienced, and the same is true with us. Christmas has changed everything. Now, today, we're in the final part of this series, and if you're a sermon note taker, our title for today is Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Jesus, Friend of Sinners. It's kind of a scandalous title, isn't it? Kind of feels like there needs to be a a clause at the end of it in parentheses, like Jesus, Friend of Sinners but only sinners who actually kind of aren't sinners anymore and they're perfect and they do everything right and they're righteous and holy so Jesus loves them now, right? Like it feels, it feels kind of like, oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, is he really? Well, we're gonna find out from scripture how this is accurate and how it's not just accurate, but it's the heart of the gospel story. It's the heart of the uh, gospel message. So as we begin today, I wanna tell you about whenever I was in elementary school. I went to Chapel Hill uh, uh, Christian school for my elementary. And whenever I was there, they, they had this uh, system to like reward you or to slap your hand, right? Like, so it was a thing called uh, uh, honor slips and tallies. That's how they'd let you know if you're doing good or if you could improve, right? That's a good way of putting it. And so what these things were, an honor slip was a little white paper. Uh, they would write your name on it and like circle what you were doing that was good. Like you were listening to the teacher, you were paying attention, you had good self-control, things like that. Um, and I got those. Let me tell you, where, where were all my good kids in school? Can I see the hands? If you're online, put a hand up. There we are. There's our good people. <laughs> what about, where, where, are my, where are my bad boys at? 
Where's where the bed? Where, there they are. There's the hands. Yes, okay. So I was the good boy. I was the good boy. I got honor slips like they were nothing, man. I just got them all the time. Uh, I was good. I was the kind of kid who if I'm in class and a kid's talking to me, but the teacher's talking, I'm not like kind of trying to, yeah. I'm not even acknowledging that they're alive. I'm just like, while they're talking to me because I'm listening to the teacher, I'm like, I am not getting in trouble today. That's not happening today. Uh, well, I had a friend growing up, which is just funny. My initials uh, growing up, I went by my initials a lot, JL. That's what I went by. And I had a friend uh, at school who he went by his initials too, and his name was JR. His first name was Jordan, but he went by JR. And at lunch, we would sit by each other. I think I liked him because he was my polar opposite. I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. I can like live vicariously through him, right? So it's like third or fourth grade. I can't remember, but we're at lunch. He's acting up like normal. I'm sitting next to him. And sure enough, you can see the lunch ladies coming over and they're writing something down. They got the blue slip. And I'm like, oh man, JR, another one for your collection, right? Like here comes another tally for you to, to hang up. They come over they hand it to me. I'm like, th yeah, thank you. I'm like, what is this? What, what's going on? And I'm like, there must be a mistake. And I look and it says JL on it. And I'm like, oh. I, and I'm, I'm a broken man at this point. I'm a third grade broken man. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, what did I do? What did I, I, I wasn't doing anything. Uh, and so sure enough, I'm, uh, one of the other lunch ladies comes over and goes, oh, no, 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 that's, it's supposed to be for JR. I was like, yep, that sounds right. Like, ah, this is supposed to be for me. Uh, so they hand it to her, but I'm like traumatized at this moment. I'm like, what? my hands are still shaking. I'm like, oh my gosh. So in that moment, you know what I realized and what I like determined? I'm not sitting by JR anymore. <laughs> like, I love you, buddy, but you can go sit somewhere else or you need to start going by your other name because they got us confused. And they accidentally, because I was close to you, they thought, I was the one misbehaving. They thought I was the one doing the stuff I shouldn't have done. And so, yeah, I'm, I love you, but I'm not gonna let you affect my goodness. I worked hard for this reputation in third grade, right? <laughs> like, like, I worked hard for this, and I don't want you to stigmatize me, right? And we see this happen, not just in that story, but I see it happen uh, all over the place. I've, actually, let me tell you about stuff that I've seen uh, for cities, Okay, cities wanting to make sure they have a good name and not a bad name. And so that whenever people visit or think of these cities, they're like, ooh, yeah, great place. I remember growing up in my dad, my parents' house is close to a Firestone Country Club, like very prestigious country club. It's known not just nationwide, worldwide. People come to golf there. It's a beautiful golf course. And I remember my dad talking about growing up how the city of Akron actually annexed uh, a Firestone. It used to be like just in Coventry Township but how that city of Akron, if you look, if you, if you go on your phone right now and do a Google search for uh, the city limits of Akron, like the city proper, you will see the city goes around and then sure enough, it juts out to, to encapsulate Firestone Country Club and then juts back in. It's like it reaches out to hug it and pull it into the city limits, right? And the reason they do that is because they wanna show you like, hey, look at us. Come visit prestigious Firestone Country Club located in beautiful Akron, Ohio, right? Like that's, that's the whole point. They want their name to be linked to something positive, to something good, to something beautiful because they care about how they're perceived. I also saw uh, another city, not just Akron, but I saw another city, uh, uh, I think it was Southside Leader or something like that, which the, you know, they, they put out and it covers a few of the areas around here. For the city of Green, uh, there were shots this is like months back, shots 
that were fired uh, over near like where Bueller is. If people know where I'm talking about on Main Street, that kind of area, there were shots that were fired. And it's, that's the city of Green. Like whenever you're driving in there, you drive over the lakes and there's these beautiful houses and you're on the Portage Lakes and there's these signs, City of Green, welcome to City of Green. It looks so beautiful. But for the story, talking about shots ringing out, guess what the headline said? Shots ring out in Akron. How convenient, right? Isn't that, isn't that convenient? Whenever there's no shots, it's the beautiful, picturesque area of green. And whenever shots fire out, ooh, things are getting dangerous in Akron, aren't they, right? It, it, Akron takes in Firestone Country Club. Green is like, oh, that wasn't fired in our area. We do this stuff. We, we like the prestigious. We like our name to be associated with good things. We don't want to be mischaracterized. We don't want people to, no, 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 no. Don't have any misconceptions about who we are. We are good. Now, here's the hard truth, okay? And this is the hard truth that we see in Scripture. The fact of the matter is, is that every single one of us, if you have blood pumping through your veins, if you have uh, air pumping through your lungs, you are the stigma to God, the, the, the shots ringing out, that's you. <laughs> the JR sitting at the lunch table, that's me. Like, that's us. We are the things that can sully God's good name. We are the things that can bring stigmatization to him. And if we're being honest with ourselves and honest with our situation and honest with our thoughts and our decisions sometimes and our actions and who we can be and where we've been, if we look at it honestly, we can look at it and go, wow, God has every reason to separate himself from my situation. He has every reason to just separate and go, yep, nope, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to step back from this because I don't want to get associated with them. I don't want to get mischaracterized or misunderstood with them because we all have sinned. I mean, it's, it's foundational in the Christian faith, Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short. Not some, not a few, not a couple people. All of us have fallen short. And so all of us are, are people who can put a negative light on God because of where we've been, because of what we said, because of how we've acted, because of what we've thought. Uh, it makes me think of, uh, luckily the Browns aren't in this position anymore. I'm a big Browns fan. Hey, we won last night. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We, we won. Beat the Ravens. Um, so the Browns, they're not good, but they're not bad. Like they're, they're actually, they're just kind of middle of the road right now, which is a frustrating place to be, but they're not. They're, they're six and eight, which is just kind of in the middle of the road. Um, but whenever they were like, I mean, they were bad. Like, let's, let's be honest, they were bad, bad. They were back-to-back -back years, 1-15 and 15 and then 0-16. Oh That's just unbelievable, right? And during those years, and it's not just the Browns, whenever the Bengals were bad and they were jokingly called the Bungles, right? Like, whenever these teams have been really, really bad, what fans will do is fans will still go to the game because they love the guy, they love this team. They, they're gonna support this team, but they don't wanna be seen with this team. And so people will go to these games and they'll wear, like, paper, like grocery bags over their heads. Have you seen these people who wear these things going in the stadium? And that's what they're trying to convey. The message they're trying to get across, walking into a stadium, wearing a Browns or Bengals jersey, but with that paper bag over their head is, I love this team. I'm going to try to support this team, but I don't want you to know that I love and support this team because it's embarrassing. Like this, these guys are an embarrassment. I don't, it's like you, you have to like almost apologize for saying you're a fan of this team. Like, 
I'm a Browns fan. I know, I know, I'm sorry. Like, you almost feel like you're at that. And uh, I, I think about that whenever it comes to our relationship with God and think how easy it would be for that to be God's reaction to us. Like, oh, I love, I love my church. I love my church. I, lo- I love the people who, who, who try to follow me. I love them. I'm gonna support them. I just don't wanna be seen with them. Because, man, they do some things and they say some things. And if they just sat at the other table, right? If they just sat over there, if I didn't have to actually be seen with them because we can sully God's name. And so, man, he has, think about it. He has every reason in the world to exit our situation, to just leave us in the dust. He has every reason in the world to do that. But instead of exiting, he embraces us. He embraced, it is, it is absolutely amazing. It's astonishing, it's outstanding, it's scandalous that the God of the universe, the perfect God of the universe embraces us. He didn't leave our situation, he entered into it. He came right into the middle of it. That's, think about it, that's the title that we hear about Jesus all the time this time of year, Emmanuel. What's that mean? God with us. God with us, he came to be with us. And that's what I love, and that's what I love about the kingdom of God. Like I said at the start of the sermon, the kingdom of God is not this far off place that God is coming to just take us here and put us there, right? It's not us, it's not an escape plan to get us out of here. That's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is a new reality that God is entering into our world. He's not trying to escape us out of here. He's entering into it to redeem it, to save it to rescue it. That is good news, and that is what we see Christmas is all about. God not trying to get us out of here, but God coming to where we're at and being willing to be identified with us. That is huge. I want to ask you, you don't have to, this is a hypothetical, just answer in your head. What do you think of whenever you hear that phrase, God with us? Can we say that together? God with us. When you hear that, we hear it a lot at Christmas time. What comes into your mind? If you're like me, if you're like most people, what we think of is Christmas is all about an address change. <laughs> like about God changing his forwarding address from heaven to earth. Like I'm gonna be here for a while now. Like I'm, I'm changing locations. And that's what it means for God to be with us. He went from here to here. So he's not far off anymore. He's, he's with us, which is true. Like that's, that's act, that's, accurate. That's true. God uh, uh, came to where we're at. That's what it means that he's with us. But I also think there's a deeper level that actually has uh, so much more impact whenever I think about it this way, is that God, God didn't just come to be with us. Let me rephrase it this way. Um, God being with us doesn't just refer to the location that he entered, but the label he embraced. Right, like him being, God with us doesn't just mean I'm entering this location, it means I'm gonna embrace all kinds of labels. I'm gonna embrace all kinds of things people are gonna say about me. I'm gonna embrace all kinds of mischaracterizations and misunderstandings that people will have about me. You see, God was willing to be misunderstood. When he came to be with us to sit at our table, to move into our neighborhood, he was willingly signing up for, yep, people are not gonna understand most of what I do. People are gonna criticize, people are gonna judge, people are gonna think, I'm a, are gonna think I, creator God, am a heretic. People are gonna completely get things wrong all over the place, but I'm willing for that to happen. I, I, I don't know about you, I hate being misunderstood. 
Like, I hate it. I hate feeling like people are getting the wrong picture of what I'm saying or they're not understanding things right for a whole plethora of reasons. I, I, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want people to have the wrong idea. Just earlier this year, whenever we were doing our series at Easter on the kingdom of God, and I was talking about the idea that the kingdom of God, yes, there is a heaven, but the kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking of is the new way of life that he's ushered in here and now. I can remember after week one of that series, I got home, and later that night, I got an email from an awesome lady in the church who was just a little bit confused. She's like, Pastor Jacob, I'm just so confused. I, I can't believe you don't think that heaven is real that there's like a heaven that we're going to. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> like Before this email gets sent out anywhere else, let me clarify some things real quick. I'm like, no, 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 I, I think you misunderstood me. I, I fully believe that there is an eternal place that we are going to, that heaven is real. Like, I fully get that. All, all I was saying is that whenever we look at the actual translation of what Jesus was speaking about when he says the kingdom of God, he's not talking about that place. He's talking about redeeming the here and now. And she's oh, okay, that clarifies so much for me. And I'm like, Oh, right? Like, I get to keep my job. Like, that's great. I uh, don't have to have a letter from the board of directors being like, what'd you say? Um, so, it, but that whole idea of being misunderstood, of people having just like a, a misunderstanding, it's a difficult thing. For a lot of people, it's, it's your biggest fear. It's something that we, we don't want any part of. And yet the gospels echo page after page, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of Jesus routinely being misunderstood routinely being mischaracterized because of who he was with, because of who he associated with. I mean, the religious leaders, the very people that you would just naturally think that Jesus would want to cozy up to because it'd be like, hey, you know, I'm showing I'm from God. These guys are following God. They're, they know uh, the, the Torah. They know the law. They know all this. I'm going to cozy up with them. But it was those people more than anybody else who criticized Jesus because of his associations, because of the people he embraced. It's like, there's no, I know there's word going around this guy's the Messiah. There is no way this guy is from God. Look at who he hangs out with. Look at who's sitting at his lunch table. Look at who he is associating with. This guy can't be holy and he can't be good. And it wasn't just religious leaders, his family. He faced pressure from them. He faced pressure from his peers, from other leaders in the community. All of them misunderstanding his heart and misunderstanding what he was trying to do. Jesus, at every turn, embraced the label friend of sinners. At every turn, despite the misunderstandings, despite the mischaracterizations. In fact, I, I would be willing, from what I've seen in Scripture, what I've studied in Scripture, I'd be willing to go even a step farther to just say that Jesus uh, willingly identified with sinners. I think Jesus intentionally identified with sinners, and he intentionally allowed himself to be misunderstood. He set up situations for him to be misunderstood. If you don't believe me, read scripture for yourself. You'll even see Jesus talking uh, about parables, the stories that he would tell. You'll see in the gospels, Jesus say, you know what? From now on, I'm only going to speak in parables. I'm only gonna speak in a way that will confuse the hard-hearted, but if you're truly seeking me, you'll be able to find me. Jesus was willing and intentionally created misunderstanding. Here's another example of it. One of the most famous stories in all of scripture, uh, the woman caught in adultery. We find it in the end of John chapter seven and the beginning of John chapter eight. Uh, uh, this woman, she's brought before Jesus. The religious leaders at this point, they are fed up with him. They're sick of this guy who's new on the scene, taking all the attention. They, they're, they're trying to trip him up at every turn. So they bring this woman before him. Say, hey, Jesus, 
This woman, she won't even deny it, caught in the act, committing adultery. Now, we know what God's word says. We know what the Mosaic law says. This woman needs to be stoned to death for what she's done. But Jesus, we're just curious, since you're such a great man, such a a man of God, you hold God's word in such high esteem, what do you think should happen to her? Setting him up. If you've read scripture, if you've attended Sunday school, you know the next part of this story. Jesus bends down, starts writing something in the sand with his finger. We don't know what he was writing, but he starts writing something in the sand. Then he stands up and he says the famous words, he who is without sin casts the first stone. Scripture says one by one, from oldest to youngest, they start dropping the stones, they walk away. Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are the people who would condemn you? She says, they're gone. And Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, if we're just reading this, it's very easy to skip over a huge, vital, important part of this story. Do you know when Jesus told the woman to go and sin no more? After everybody else had left. (laughs) There's nobody else around. Read scripture for for yourself. You'll see it. It says, one by one they left until only Jesus and the woman remained. Now, this seems crazy to me. Wouldn't Jesus want to take a hard line early on while the crowd is still around and let them know, hey, by the way, this woman is a sinner. She sinned. It is wrong to commit adultery. It's, it's wrong uh, to have infidelity. Like, I, I'm just saying it right up, right? Like, that would have been a very easy thing to do for Jesus. It would have been very easy. Maybe it would have uh, eased some of the guys. Be like, oh, good. I'm glad I heard him call it sin because that's what it is. And I want to I hear him say it. I want to hear him call it out for what it is. Jesus didn't do that intentionally. He just waits till everyone is gone, then says it to the woman. Go and sin no more. I I often think how many people were in the crowd that day who maybe were on the fence about Jesus, who maybe up until this point were like, you know, I don't know if this guy really is who he says he is, but I'll tell you, some of the stuff he says, it's so good. And some of the ways he acts, I mean, the, the miracles, maybe this guy really is from God. And they were there that day, and they hear Jesus talk like this, and they probably walk away going, okay, never mind. I thought this guy was good. I thought this guy was holy. I thought this guy cared about what God says, but obviously he doesn't. I mean, obviously he doesn't care at all about sin. Obviously he doesn't care. Look at who he hangs out with. I just, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. Jesus didn't just willingly choose to, okay, yeah, if people misunderstand me, I guess they misunderstand me. He intentionally set up situations for people to misunderstand him. And it's mind-blowing to me someone who is so concerned with how people view me, someone who is so concerned with how people think of me that Jesus would embrace the label friend of sinners. And we see it all throughout his ministry over and over again, willingly being uh, uh, included in the sinful group, in the, the group of the outcasts of the lowest and the least. But as we've been seeing throughout this entire series, Jesus didn't just start this in his ministry. He didn't just start uh, identifying with the lowest and the least and, and being a friend of sinners late in his life. No, it started at Christmas. We see it very early on from the moment Jesus appears on the scene. He is a friend of sinners. I wanna read to us from Luke chapter two. Uh, the verses we're about to read immediately follow where we left off last week. We read the story of the shepherds, right? Uh, The shepherds who came and visited Jesus after his birth. 
Immediately after they leave, we pick up in verse 21, and usually these are the like kind of unfun verses, right? The fun verses are the Christmas story, Luke 2, 1 through 20, that the, the Jesus is born and there's a census and they go to Bethlehem and yay, isn't that great? And it's all fun. And we usually we're just done after the shepherds leave. We're like, okay, close book. Like that's, that's the Christmas story. The next part, um, this year as I was reading, it just really stuck out to me. And I read a, different comment, uh, a few different commentaries uh, that kind of were hitting on the same thing, same train of thought that I was seeing this with. And I'm like, man, this is, this is so good. And it just hit me. So I hope, hope it has the same impact with you. This is what it says uh, in Luke uh, 2, starting in verse 21. Eight days later, so eight days after Jesus' birth, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You see, from the manger to the cross, Jesus willingly identified with sinners. And we see it right here in this instance in Luke 21 through 24. You see this Mosaic law ceremony, we read about it in Leviticus chapter 12. If you wanna read about it yourself, you can find it in Leviticus 12. In this Mosaic law ceremony, when you have a firstborn son, that's what you're supposed to do, offer a uh, sacrifice to the Lord. It's a purification sacrifice. It's acknowledging that Adam's, uh, the fall of man, Adam's sin, that it's, it's in all of us, we're all sinful, all of us fall short of God's glory, right? Romans 3.23, what we talked about earlier. And that's what this is addressing, this sacrificial uh, ceremony that is commanded by the Mosaic law. And so his parents take part in it, which kind of doesn't make sense because he's Jesus, <laughs> Does Jesus need a purification ceremony? Like, does he, does he have some sin in his life that he needs to get out? I mean, come on, no. If you know what we believe as Christians, Jesus was without fault. He was the perfect lamb without blemish. No, he doesn't need purified. He is purity incarnate. He doesn't need purified. Jesus is God. He doesn't need these Mosaic law ceremonies. They may apply to all of us, but they don't apply to him. He's the exception. In fact, you would think that God would want to call out the fact that he's the exception. You would think that God would be like, hey, uh, I wanna tell uh, Mary and Joseph, Gabriel, when you talk to them, you let them know when Jesus is time for his purification offering, don't do one. Don't do one. He doesn't need it. He is, he is purity. He is holiness. He, he doesn't need this. But instead, he goes through the purification ceremony. Instead, God doesn't mention that to Mary and Joseph. He goes through the rites just like everybody else. Everybody else being sinners. People who actually needed it. From day one, he's not even a week old and Jesus is already identifying, being labeled with the rest of us sinners. It's amazing. It's amazing. John Calvin in his commentary says it this way. Within a week of his first cry, Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Just unbelievable. And this is how his life went from the moment he stepped on the scene to the second he breathed his last breath on the cross in between two sinners, in between two thieves who were crucified, two, two revolutionaries who were crucified right beside him. It's all throughout Jesus' ministry too, right? 
He, he routinely is interacting and being embraced with and being uh, characterized and lauded in, not just with sinners, but people who were the lowest and least. People who the rest of society would look down on, even if it wasn't because they had huge sin in their life, but just because, well, man, you're just, you're down and out. Just go over there. This is a very important part that if we don't know uh, about Jewish law, we can just miss. But right there in Luke uh, 2.24, it says this. Let me read uh, one more time. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is the thing. Actually, when you read Leviticus 12, what's required of a sacrifice that's required of a firstborn son is a lamb. That's what should have been given here. That's what they should have sacrificed. It's part of the purification ceremony. Offer a a, a lamb without blemish. But there was an exception. There was a clause in this part of the Levitical law. The clause was this. If you did not have the finances, if you did not have the resources, this clause became known, the offering of the poor. That's literally what it became known. If you did not have the finances or the resources, in lieu of a lamb, you could sacrifice turtle doves or pigeons. Gives us some more insight into who Jesus was born into. This wasn't just a family who was just kind of like middle class, right? Or not super well to do, but kind of, they were the lowest and the least. They couldn't even afford the the proper sacrifice for the ceremony and had to use the offering of the poor. From the moment Jesus stepped on the scene, he was identifying with sinners. He was identifying with the lowest and the least, and he did it his entire life. He did it his entire life. And here's the best news of all. This is the news that we celebrate today. This is the news that I hope gives you hope this Christmas. Guess what? He's still doing it. He's still identifying with sinners. He's still embracing sinners, which is good news because breaking news, you're a sinner, (laughs) right? Like it's it's like Oprah, you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you're a sinner. Like we're all sinners, it's all of us. So thank God that Jesus is a friend of sinners because that's exactly what I am. That's exactly what you are. Thank God that he still embraces and identifies and wants to be seen with us. Because it it, it may not feel like it on some days. Some days we can just be coasting and we're not really thinking intentionally. We can kind of forget where we were when Jesus found us, but we all need him. We all need a God who is a friend of sinners. There comes that moment where we all realize, well, I need help. Like, it's me too. I I know on uh, Twitter, I subscribe to like different threads. uh, And one of the threads I subscribe to is uh, viral tweets. So there's any tweet that really like goes viral and it's really funny or something like that, it pops up on my feed. And generally some of the ones that go viral are uh, people like posting about a pet peeve that they have, like a little pet peeve. And then people will be like, oh my gosh, yes, that drives me nuts too. And people will like it and stuff like that. And it's usually funny because I'm scrolling through and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I kind of don't like that either. Oh yeah, I guess I got that, you know, so you just kind of scroll through. Well, the other day I'm looking at it And one tweet goes viral, hundreds of thousands of likes, tons of retweets, tons of comments. And the tweet was a pet peeve. It said, I can't stand when people always use exclamation points in emails or texts. Drives me nuts, right? It says in the comments, me too, so annoying. Oh, I can't stand it. Like, just talk normal. There's nothing wrong with a period, right? Like, doing all this sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there reading it, and I'm like, well, that's me. (laughs) Like, I'm... I'm that person. Like, I've got exclamation points just ding, ding, all over the place. Like, I use them all the time. And I felt like, so, like, as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, 
well, I mean, sometimes they have a purpose. Like sometimes they have a use. Like I'm feeling all defensive and I'm feeling like whatever. And it's funny because in that moment, I, again, I had been reading about all these other pet peeves and I'm like, oh yeah, that is kind of annoying. Oh. And then suddenly I realized, oh, it's me too. Oh, I guess I do. I guess I'm not perfect. I guess I'm not God's gift to the world and everything I do, people are like, oh, well, wonderful. What? Like there's some things I do that annoys some people out here. And it was like a moment where you go, wow, like I'm included in this. Like I do things that are on somebody else's pet peeve list, right? And when it comes to our faith walk, it helps for us every now and then to remember, I use too many exclamation points. (laughs) Like I've got some stuff, like it's me too. It's not just them who need a savior. It's not just they. It's not just those people who don't vote the same way I do. It's not just the people who don't go to the same church that I do. Like, it's not just them and they that need saved. I need saved. It's not just them who need Jesus to be a friend of sinners. I need Jesus to be a friend of sinners. I need it for myself. We all need it. Romans 3.10 says it this way. There is no one righteous, not one. There's nobody. So it's not just they, and it's not just them. It's all of us. We need Jesus like everybody else needs Jesus. We need a God who says, I know what you've done. I know what you've thought. I know what you said. I know where you've been. I know who you were. And I still want to embrace you. I still want to identify with you. I still want to sit at your table. I still want to love you. I don't care what people say about me because they see me with you. I want to be with you. We need that God. And luckily, we have that God. He is still doing it today. He is still identifying and being a friend of sinners. I'm gonna ask the worship team if they would come on stage, and as they do, I wanna tell you this. This is the best news of all, okay? Yes, Jesus is the friend of sinners, but it is so much better than that. You see, Jesus doesn't wanna just relate to us. He wants to rescue us. Jesus doesn't just relate to sinners. He rescues us. It's great to have a friend in Jesus, a friend who who sees where we're at and embraces us in the middle of it, but it's even better to have somebody who says, hey, I can save you from this. It doesn't have to be this way anymore. I, I, I can actually help you. I can rescue you from what you're going through. Jesus doesn't simply relate to sinners. He rescues them. I wanna read one more time Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16, what we start our service with. This is what it says. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. You see, Jesus isn't just a friend of sinners. He's our high priest. He's our king. And this is why that matters. In Jewish uh, uh, law, the high priest was literally the intercessor between God's people and God. They, they were the one who mediated the covenant. So what that would mean is if you sinned, if you violated God's law, you would bring a sacrifice, you would bring an offering, but you wouldn't bring it directly to God. You would bring it to the high priest and the high priest would offer it on your behalf before God. They would intercede for you. But here's the thing, this is what's so crazy. The job of the high priest, uh, whenever they would be on duty, whenever they would be offering sacrifices, get this, they weren't allowed to sit. For two reasons. Uh, One was an illustrative reason, but one was an actual applicable reason that they weren't allowed to sit. And here's why. They weren't able to sit because the offerings never 
stopped. They just never stopped. Because the sin never stopped. It was constant. It was ongoing. The second you offer up one offering, here comes another family with more sin to atone for. The second you get that one done, here comes another family with more sin to atone for over and over and over again. So they would not be allowed to sit. Which is why it's so powerful later in the book of Hebrews when it's describing what Jesus has done for us as our high priest. Again, not just our friend, as our high priest, what he has done for us. It says that when Jesus offered his sacrifice for us, not, not the blood of a, of a lamb or a turtle dove or, 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 or of a pigeon or of a goat, his own blood, that when he offered that sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down. The reason he sat is highly symbolic. He sat because it was finished, because it was done. It satisfied what needed satisfied. There's no more offerings to be presented. There's no more sacrifices to be made because our high priest has made the final once and for all sacrifice for us. So Jesus is not just a friend of sinners, He's a rescuer of sinners. He's a savior of sinners. So yes, we can relate to him and yes, we can identify with him and yes, he will embrace us, but he wants to do so much more. He wants to save us. He doesn't wanna just be your friend, he wants to be your king. He wants to lead you into a new life, a life that is full of hope and full of purpose. John 10, 10 says, the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and to give you life to the full, and that's exactly what he offers. It's exactly what the kingdom of God is all about, life to the full, and it can be ours. It can be ours. Once we put our faith and our hope and our trust and follow Jesus as king, there is nothing but life and hope ahead of us. I'm gonna ask if you would, let's stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the gift that he is. Thank you for the kingdom that he ushered in, this new way of living, this new reality that we live in. Thank you for the way that you've identified with us, that you've embraced us, even when it uh, brought you mischaracterization and misunderstandings. You didn't care. You, you embraced us all the harder and you fought for us all the harder. And God, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. God, help us to see you for who you truly are, not just a friend of sinners, but a rescuer of sinners, someone that we need in our life to take us out of the dark places that we've been in. And God, I pray for anybody in here today, anybody watching online who, who they find themselves in that dark place. They haven't made you king of their life yet. God, I ask that in this moment, you would touch on their heart, that you would draw them closer and closer to you, that they would see their need for you and that right now they would make that decision. They would say, Jesus, I know I need you. I know that I need you to be my friend because I am a sinner. I know that I need you in my life. I need you to save me and I need you more than just save me. I need you to lead me. I need you as my king going forward because I need a fulfilling life and I know the only way I find that is in you. And God, for all of us who have already been following Jesus, let us remember that truth. The truth that our, our hope for the future, our, our hope for our life, it is only ever tethered to you. It is only ever put in you and in you alone because you, Jesus, are our friend, you're our king, you're our high priest, and you are our hope for the future. We love you so much, Father. We pray all this in your mighty and your powerful name. Amen. 
Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.